Welcome to Conversations with Connors. I'm your host, Adam Connors. People buy from those they know, like, and trust. Well, I'm a big buyer of Larry Sprung, and I have a strong feeling that after listening to our conversation, you too will feel like you know him and you'll definitely like him. Larry lives a life by design and not by default, a key criteria to being on my show. He's created a life that allows him to travel the world, do fun things, and ultimately spend as much time with his family as he wants. He's the founder and CEO of Midland Financial, a successful wealth management platform that's based in New York. But that's not his only label. In fact, he takes more pride in his philanthropic activities, like the Keith Milano Memorial Foundation, or his association with the AFSP. For those who aren't familiar with it, it's the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Our conversation centers around the importance of having good people in our life, how paramount strong relationships are, some of Larry's tips on how he connects and nurtures his contacts, how his networking has helped him build such a prosperous business, and why the quality of his contacts trumps the quantity. He didn't want to focus on his business, but I was able to get him to open up a little bit. He shared the three most important pieces of your retirement plan and how his focus is on the design of his client's portfolio, as opposed to the day-to-day trading style of most money management firms. There's good information in this conversation about general networking philosophies, how Larry built a great business, and what he would have done differently knowing what he knows now. So. Without further ado, let me take you to my conversation with Larry Sprung. Enjoy. So when was the last time you just sat and just did a conversation just like this? I don't think I ever sit. I have the uh, the very desk, no plug to them, but uh, I have the very standing desk in my office. So my whole desk lifts up and uh, allows me to work standing for most of the day. You're kidding me. So so the very desk is so funny. What year did you pick that desk up? I just got it at the end of last year for the holidays. That's awesome. So back in 2006, I created my very own very desk. <laughs> you know, with, with a box? <laughs> no, it was, it was a whole lot of telephone books, if you can remember what a telephone book yeah. was. <laughs> yeah, well, now now they have an electronic very desk, so you don't even have to manually Come on. lift it up. You could just hit a button and it electronically lifts uh, right in front of you. You're kidding me. Have you yeah. seen the, uh, I don't know if it's called the very desk, but it's similar to that and it's got the treadmill on it? Yes, yes, I have seen that. And yeah. I don't know that I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so in my company about 10 years ago, this gentleman, he was a consultant that we had hired. Uh, he saw this. What, what I was doing, he then hooked up, he did something just like this, but he attached it to his treadmill and he ended up losing like 40 something pounds. Wow. And then now they are a thing. And he was not the creator of that? He was not the creator uh, of that. Yeah. yeah. See, you don't capitalize while you can, you lose out on a lot of opportunity. Damn skippy. Speaking of capital, um, that's what you do for a living, right? You, uh, you're a wealth manager that manages capital? Yes, we help people uh, basically design and develop a financial plan. Uh, we feel that most people spend more time over the course of a year planning their family vacation than they do their financial lives. So what we do is we come in, help them design and develop that game plan, 
manage the assets that go along with it, and then help using our network of professionals, help them address all the other areas of their financial life, whether it be tax planning, estate planning, insurance planning, things of those areas. So you're essentially a one-stop shop for the world of wealth management. We are. We like to look at ourselves as if a client has an issue, a concern, or a problem, typically that involves money. We want to know about it. You give us a call and typically we have somebody in our arsenal, in our network that can help that client achieve or fix whatever they're looking to take care of. And is that client just individuals? We have a, uh, a mix. Uh, the practice is basically made up of what we call private clients, which are individuals that we work with. And then about 20% of the practice right now is what we call corporate clients, which are uh, companies that we're working with managing, designing their retirement plans, their corporate plans for their employees. Is that complicated? It is. It is. It's an interesting time because there is a bifurcation right now out there with retirement plans with regards to fiduciaries and brokers. What that means is there are a lot of old plans that were sold by brokers who basically sell a product, get paid a commission, They can advise and guide the individual participants of the plan because they are brokers. Mm -hmm. So what we're seeing and where we come in is we act as fiduciaries to the plan. So what we can do is we don't get uh, paid for selling a plan. We get paid for designing and developing and finding the right fit for the company and then guiding them along the way. We don't get paid a commission, so we're agnostic to the plan design. We're agnostic to the platform. We just want to make sure that it's the best fit for uh, the client. And our fiduciary responsibility allows us to advise and guide the individual employees as well. So then how do you vet the plans that you're putting people under? That you're designing, I should yeah, say. Yeah, so I mean, we have a, a team that we work with. Basically, we believe in a, again, using the word bifurcated, we believe in this bifurcated structure where you should have basically three components to your retirement plan. You should have the platform on which the plan is on. You should have the advisor, which is where we come in. And then your actuary and administration should be done by a separate firm. So what we do is we do due diligence on each one of those platforms and each one of those providers. And a lot of times it makes sense, you know, we want to know who the providers are, but more importantly than that, we want to know who the company is that wants this platform and what their goals and objectives are with the plan because every provider has different uh, areas that they're experts at. And some plan providers may not be a good fit for a company and others can be an exact fit. So we want to make sure that that fit is there and something that the company can grow with over time. And how much time do you typically spend putting these plans together? Well, the corporate retirement plan side has a very, very long lead time. Uh, It's a very complicated process. If you think about it, right now we're talking with a company that has about a $5 million 401k plan. There are about 50 employees. So the company has a number of goals that they're looking to accomplish. They want further education for their employees. They want to lower their costs, which everybody wants to do. And they also want to mitigate some of their fiduciary responsibility. So typically, this is not something that you go talk to a company and they're 
changing plans next week. In some cases, this could be a six to an 18 month process to sit down with the client and educate them on what they should be looking at. Uh, so it's a timely proposition, and that's a really good reason why we don't focus our practice in that area because of the very long lead time. So you were very clear with me before we started that this is not about Midland, <laughs> that this is you're more interested in answering questions about the charities and some of the things that you're passionate about. But I do appreciate if you if you don't mind, I'd love to ask just a couple more financial questions before we move on. Is that sure. Cool? Yeah, that's absolutely okay, cool. fine. I, I just find, it, you know. People who work with us want to work with us because of us as people. I find that uh, getting out information about other areas of my life really turns people into advocates wanting to learn more about the company. So it's almost like a circular uh, process, if you will. Yeah. I selfishly want to give you a plug. Larry actually manages my money. He's been absolutely fantastic. I've known Larry now for over 20 years. We'd worked together Back in the day, we uh, first had broken our teeth in this industry when this industry was really, you just got to sell, you got to make calls. And uh, the level of ethics in the industry at the time, I would say, are, or there just weren't any. <laughs> so so you and uh, maybe Jim Kelly and a couple other guys that uh, we had worked with, and there was, I think, somewhere, how many people? Are there 40, 150, 100 people at the firm at the time? Do you remember? Well, I remember, I think my Series 7 class was before you, and we had 50. And to my knowledge, I'm the only one left in that class. But uh, when we worked together, I think we had close to 50 people in that office. Yeah. So it's just a, a brutally difficult industry to make it in. And most people that get into this space, they're strictly just chasing the dollars. And the dollars not for their their clients, but really just for themselves. Not understanding that there's just so much more into this business. And one of the reasons that uh, I, I've stuck with Larry is because he's a man of, or you, I'm talking as if you're not here, uh, because your integrity is so high, uh, your work ethic is so high, and that, that you care. I think it is worth, I do want to give you a, a plug. You've sure. been great. You, you know, you. there were times where, you know, back in, God, I forgot where it was, but I only had a couple hundred dollars to my name. And, and you were one of the few people that I was a nothing client but were loyal and, and helpful. One of the few people that helped when my business really, really took a, a hard hit. So selfishly, I do want to give you a plug. I think that you're fantastic. And I think that anyone, I just know the care that, that you give me and other people that I've referred to you. So, so let's check that box. I appreciate that. Okay, uh, let's move forward. Because one of the things that, that you do also do, and one of the reasons that your business is such a success is the relationships that you've developed organically, as well as obviously just, you know, building a business, you got to hustle. So sure. I would love not only just for my own selfish pleasures to learn how you've done this, but I think anyone who's listening to this show would really benefit from hearing about what it took from on the relationship side, at least, to build, to bring in some of the clientele that you've brought in. Let's get rolling there. And then I do want to get into some of your other passions, but let's let's get into that a little later. Sure. I mean, listen, I, I really think that having longevity in this business, as you mentioned, is not easy. There are, you know, there are a lot of people that enter the business and there are a lot of people that leave the business. Being that I entered the business in my early 20s was even a greater challenge at that period of time. Looking back now, to me, it was never about, I never wanted to build a business on investment returns. My feeling was if every advisor in theory is doing what they should be doing, whether you're working with myself and my firm or a gal down the block or a guy up the block, 
our returns should be within a relatively small margin of each other. So my goal was really to differentiate myself outside of the investment, and that was on the relationship side, looking to build relationships. And I think that that has been a a key to my success. I have a uh, good rapport with people. Uh, I have also a good sense when I meet people, potential clients, or even just potential networking partners, I have a sixth sense about me that allows me to figure out very quickly, thankfully, uh, whether or not there's going to be a fruitful relationship uh, on the horizon. And how so? Sorry to interrupt, but what are things that their tells people have? Are they? I wish I could, you know, pinpoint certain things, um, but you know, there are certain tells as far as questions that people ask when when they meet me as far as a prospective client. If a client asks us, you know, what our returns have been, and that's their first question. Typically, that's not going to be a great client for us because they're very return driven. And the minute the returns go the other way, whether it's our fault or simply the market's going the other way, they're looking for a new advisor. We're really looking for people who we can, going back, build a relationship with. We're now in the process of working in some cases with second and third generations of clients. And that's really our goal is to build and maintain those relationships. And we've done that successfully by doing a number of things. You know, it seems like common sense to me, but a lot of people in our industry don't do it. Sending birthday cards to clients, sending birthday emails to clients on the day of their birthday, anniversary cards, anniversary emails, gifts when somebody has a grandchild or a baby. Ooh, speaking of gifts, I got to tell you, my I, maybe this is what locked me up. I don't know. But the the holiday gift, it just doesn't get any better. These truffle ice cream. Cremalore. <sighs> Man, sorry to interrupt. They are really just, good. Yeah, they, they they go a long way. Yeah. They they don't last long in my house either. <laughs> no. But uh, you know that was that was something we found a couple of years ago. We yeah. look to change up things every couple of years, and you know I base my success of holiday gifts, for example, based on thank yous. If I send a gift out to fifty or sixty people and I get two thank yous. That was a crummy gift. I don't want to have that next year. Crema Lores, we've been giving that out for like the last two or three years, and we have a ninety percent thank you rate. You know, that's a really that's a (laughs) you know. So your gift will never change. The the other ten percent, we might have to look for something new there. But you know, we we look at that information, and uh, you know, that's what people want to know from wealth managers, right? We want clients who. Yes, they need to get returns to reach their goals. They want to reach their goals and objectives. But where we want to differentiate ourselves is on all the intangibles, all those things. When the market's going south, uh, which it does, we've experienced that this year uh, already, we want to make sure we're staying in touch with our clients. We send an email out letting them know we're on top of things. We want to know what's going, we know what's going on. Here's what we think is happening. And that goes very, very far. We get a lot of referrals following emails like that. So I'm going to interrupt. So I think it was just last week when we had the 800, 800? Uh, uh, I think it was 550 okay. a, a week and a half or so ago. Yeah. So, so it was, that's a perfect example. Because I was with someone who was very affluent and I didn't even know that the market, I don't follow the markets whatsoever. 
But uh, I get this email, I got it from you, and I'm like, oh, shit. And the buddy that I was with, uh, I do remember who it was now, and he's, well, what's wrong? And I'm like, oh, well, the markets just went down, this amount, this and that. He's like, oh, you're kidding me. And it turns out, so I was like, he's like, well, how, you know, how do you know? And I said, I just got, you know, uh, got this letter, this and that. So he's like, I didn't get, I didn't get a letter, and and he's worth significantly more. He's got a lot more zeros after his right. net worth than I did. So uh, I think that was a nice separator, and you know, hopefully he's reaching out to you at some point. So I'm it, sorry to yeah, steal your yeah. Mojo, I mean, it's a know? huge, it's a yeah. huge separator. We get listen. It's difficult in that moment writing those emails, but at the same time, they go a long way. We typically get a handful of referrals following those emails for that exact reason. Somebody's out and about, or with family, or doing something, and they get this email and say, "Hey, do you know? Did you know the market did this today? No, oh, no. How do you? Well, yeah, my advisor just sent me an email letting me know why." what I should be thinking about, what I might want to be doing. And and by the way, if you didn't get an email, he also mentioned that he'll give you a free consultation because our belief is sometimes minor adjustments can lead to major improvements. Yeah. And that's, you know, our mantra and that's how we facilitate relationships with clients. We want to make sure that we're there for them. So you've been on the networking circuit for a while. You and I, we'd go out, we used to go out. But in general, how often do you get out? Do you have a philosophy? What is your intent when you're going out? Um, do you mind sharing some of the experiences that you've had? My networking has really- and has it changed? It has changed. It's really uh, taken a significant change over the last 20 years. When I first got in the business, I basically went to every event I could, went to every opportunity I was invited to, shook as many hands, collected as many cards as I could, and followed up with them. These days, you know, now I have a family, two kids, a lot of time is taken up with them at the rink uh, during weeknights. So, you know, you start looking at things a lot differently than I did 20 years ago. So now I have to look at every opportunity as a cost benefit, right? You have to say, okay, well, am I going to miss my son's hockey practice? And if I am, is this event I'm being invited to going to be worth missing that practice or coming home you know, two or three hours later than I normally do. And now I have a very strict filter to look at the event, see who's expected to be there, what's it about before making a decision on whether or not I go there. And then even when I do make the commitment to go there, my philosophy in that regard has changed. I try to find out now who's going to be there. And if I can do that in advance, try to isolate one or two folks that I want to spend some meaningful time with while I'm at that event, rather than shaking hands, kissing babies, walking out with 40 cards, and really have not built up a relationship with anybody. I would much rather focus in, spend some time with a couple of individuals that I can start you know, building a baseline for a relationship with them that I can then you know, move to the next level and hopefully follow up with. One of the things that I do with my coaching classes is that I try to encourage people as much as possible if they're going to an event to if possible to get the attendee list ahead of time sure something to do is to not only get the event but look these people up if they're you know whether it's linkedin or whatever public profile there is and send them a note ahead of time 
hey, I'm going to be at this event. You've got an interesting background. I'd love to learn about whatever, whatever it might that's be, as long idea. as it's genuine. I don't know if that's something that you've ever done or if that's something that, well, I guess you do like the idea. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but, it's not yeah. something I've utilized in the past, but you know, after today, it might uh, it might be on the radar for the next <laughs> All right, one. Let's get into the repertoire. Yeah, yeah no problem <laughs> with that. It sounds like a great idea. Cool. So, okay, so you go to these events. You're a lot more selective. Hopefully, you have one meaningful relationship with one or two people. Talk to me about follow-up. Do you do it? And if so, do you have, I don't know if you want to call it a philosophy or just how do you think about the follow-up? The follow-up is more important than anything else we've already discussed because what's going to happen is most of the people that go to these networking functions will meet people and they won't follow up. And it's very easy to separate yourself. Again, you know, we're talking about separating ourselves from the pack in a lot of different ways here. Separate yourself from the pack and follow up. Now, you know, if it's somebody that you feel is going to be significantly beneficial to you or your business at some point, then it's even more important to follow up with them and then maybe look to schedule a time where you can meet one-on-one, whether it's for drinks or for breakfast or coffee or even just a phone call. But that follow-up is key and you're going to separate yourselves from yourself from a whole lot of other people that may have they encountered at that event. Yeah, it's when, very key. So when you're looking to identify good relationships, are, are there certain characteristics within individuals that you're looking for, that you're vetting, I guess? The number one thing for me is a good person. That's it in spades. You need to work with a good person. Secondarily, then you have to look at what their career occupation and how their networking philosophy is and say, okay, is this going to be beneficial for me to invest the time in getting to know them uh, either for me personally, my practice, my business, or my clients? Because those are the three criteria that I'm always evaluating things. I either want my connections to be able to be helpful to me, beneficial to me in some way, shape, or form, helpful or beneficial to my business or beneficial to my clients. You know, maybe they don't help me out. Maybe they don't help my business directly. But if they can help my clients at some point down the line, that indirectly helps the other two. So I can speak <laughs> firsthand to that because I've been the beneficiary of introductions from you, from some of your other clients. And that's something that very few, again, getting back to the comparison from other money managers, they, they don't do. They don't do those little extra things that make a difference. And that's really what networking is all about, which is, again, another reason why I wanted you here today. Sure. I also have, I have two accountants. And one of my accountants has a Rolodex that's ridiculous of Westchester elites has introduced me to nobody. He's done nothing for me. Um, Great accountant, very good, and he's as honest as they come, so I'll never leave him. But I have another accountant who is also good, maybe not as good, but he has introduced me to a number of people. And for that, he's actually the guy that I refer more people to. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. Who knows you better than your advisor, you know, so. Listen, I've had clients call me up for things that they were like, I can't believe I'm even calling you about this, but can you help me out? And they tell me what the problem is. And I say, listen, give me a day. I have two or three people that I think can help you. And they're over the moon. You know, they didn't know where to start. They didn't know where to go. And within a 24-hour period, we were able to locate somebody that could help them. And I think it comes down to I was part of and I was actually uh, voted networker of the year for a networking group here in uh, Manhattan. And their philosophy, I'm not a member of their group any longer, but their philosophy is fantastic. It's, It's better to give than receive, but what goes around comes around. Nice. 
And it's a really good philosophy if you think about it, because that's really where the root of networking should really come from. It should always be about giving and not necessarily receiving. The hope is if you give enough, you'll receive back and it's it's karmic in a way. Yeah, I, I call that the karmatic boomerang. Um, I had a guy on my show, Brandon Steiner, his podcast will be releasing, I'll probably release that in the coming weeks. He was fantastic. And his story is amazing. I don't know if you know who he is. but family, yeah. Yeah, Steiner, yeah, Steiner, yeah, Steiner Sports, Sports, that's him. He bought Yankee Stadium. And, I have and, some and of their Ranger memorabilia really, yeah, in my he's, house. He's a big sure. Ranger. Yes, yeah, they are. Yeah. So they if you've ever been, really cool office, by the way, super cool office, and he's a great guy. It's like and, a museum, probably. Yeah, it really, and it, it's fun, and it's a whole other story. But I'm going to botch his quote, but essentially, you know, his philosophy of life and everything is do as much as you can for as many people as you can, as often as you can, and expect nothing else. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So you do that. It's a great philosophy. Obviously, it's worked for you. You've got this great life, which is another criteria to be on my show. You need to be a a first and foremost, just a good person. Uh, The second criteria is to be successful. And I define success is living a life by design, not by default. And and the third piece is uh, obviously attributing a cornerstone of that success to the network and the people you've surrounded yourself. So sure. you live a life by design. You get out there, you're, you're boating, you get a really good amount of time to spend with your kids, more so than probably 99% of the people that I know. Yeah, I mean, you travel around with them and you have an opportunity now that you're in a position in your life of all these years of really building a sustainable business that you've afforded certain freedoms for yourself. Um, I think that's awesome. And I'd love to hear about some of the sacrifices that you had to make or things that you had to give up in order to get to where you are today. Yeah, I I think that uh, what you describe is more of a mindset than even a financial need, if you will, or financial backing. I I find that when you have a mental capacity to design things, things end up working out the way you mentally design them. So it's important to kind of lay out that game plan, if you will, right? So I think, you know, looking back at where I started, I used to work, you know, crazy hours. As you know, when we started, we were probably in the office 6, 7 a.m., leaving at 8 or 9 p.m., if, you know, on yeah. a good day. And when Six I. Six days a week. Yes. And when I started with the firm, they were out on Long Island and I was living in Rockland County. So on top of that, I had an hour and a half on a good day drive on the Cross Bronx back and oh, forth. That sounds like so, fun. Yeah. Yeah. So it was brutal. But. You know, my philosophy back then was I don't want to be the the LIFO. I don't want to be the last in, first out. I want to be the first in and the last out. And I put in the time and the effort of learning, looking towards other people. I know this is something you talk about mentors, you know, and and I don't know that I have specific ones that I can recall, but I I remember looking and, and watching people who were more successful than me and how they were doing it. And I really put in the hours. And then as I started approaching the situation of having getting married and having a family, I started thinking about what you just discussed and creating a life by design. I didn't want my business and my success to control me. I wanted to control it. It all started when I really started having kids. I started laying that out very distinctly. One of the things, one of the first things I remember is, for example, 
when my youngest was born, uh, my office was about 20 miles from my house. Now on Long Island, 20 miles oh, could man. be 20 minutes on certain days, or it could be an hour and a half, depending on some days. And I said, you know what? I want to be there for my son, for things that he's going to be doing in school. And I'm not going to have the ability to attend a lot of those things with being 20 miles away. So I drew a circle around my house, a 10 mile radius and said, I'm going to find an office within this area that I can move my practice to. And that's what I did. I'm seven miles from my house, 12 minute drive, typically on a bad day, uh, which affords me to be able to be there and present for those uh, those things. So I think it's a lot by how you want to frame things and do things. And I want to make sure, listen, the kids are young for a very short period of time. When they're grown up and go to college, I'll have a lot more free time to potentially concentrate more on my business at that point even. But I want to make sure that I'm there and uh, as present as possible for them while they are now young young and we can enjoy being together as a family. So it takes a lot of work up front. Then I think you have a little time frame if you have a family where you can kind of focus in on the family piece. And then as the family gets older and grows up, you could kind of go back to the business and back a little bit more to the grind if you want to or need to at that point. And I think the thing that's helped me afford a lot and do a lot of this is technology because, you know, even wherever I am at, I'm basically a computer login away from basically being at my desk and doing whatever I need to do. Apologies for interrupting this conversation, especially if you're really enjoying it. I know that I get frustrated when I'm listening to a good podcast, so I'll make it quick. If you're enjoying our podcast, please support us on patreon.com slash networkwise. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash networkwise. All patrons will receive early access to podcasts and exclusive networking advice. Okay, that was painless. So all you have to do now is help us on Patreon and enjoy the remainder of the show. You've always been accessible to me. Always. There's never been a time where I think I've ever, if 24 hours goes by, I'd be surprised. I don't know that we promote this necessarily to clients, but if you call in in the morning to speak with us or have a concern, we typically want to get back to you by the afternoon. And if you touch base with us in the afternoon after 12, 1 o'clock, we want to be back in touch with you in, in the morning by at the latest. Mm-hmm. You know, again... How many advisors, you know, going back to the business aspect, get calls and then they don't get returned? That's an easy way. It's an easy differentiator and an easy way to really make clients unhappy. And we want to make sure that we're accessible. I think the only time I'm not accessible is when I'm in, on a cruise and I'm in the middle of nowhere where I can't be accessible. <laughs> and then I forward it to my staff and say, hey, get back to them, let them know I'm away. And they'll be one of my first calls when I'm in a place where I can actually make a call. Great. So let's transition to some of your passions. You are a very benevolent and philanthropic person. Let's talk about some of the the charity that I guess that's nearest and dearest to you. I've always had charitable endeavors. Uh, When I was in grade school, it was cancer because my mom, who actually, you know, is uh, one of the namesakes of my firm, my mom's name was Linda. So she's the L-I-N of Mitlin. Uh, M-I-T was Mitchell, my my wife's grandfather. They actually passed away within a few hours of each other. And then I I met my wife. Uh, That's how we uh, came up with the name of Mitlin. So younger, my mom was diagnosed with cancer at a very young 
young age, I was about 12 or 13 years old, I did, I did a lot of fundraising for them. And uh, fortunately, she passed away in 1997. But I've always had this charitable slant to my my life, and I always wanted to give back. And 2004, I lost my brother-in-law, Keith Milano, my wife's brother, uh, to suicide. And at that moment, I never thought in a million years, never understood how or had been affected by suicide and never seen how mental health uh, could contribute to something like that. Believe it or not, 2004, about a month after he passed, was when I launched Midland Financial. And I had talked to my wife about possibly delaying the launch, and she said, absolutely not. Keith would want you to go ahead with it. So in 2004, my wife and I started uh, looking at opportunities to help and raise awareness in the mental health and suicide prevention area. And uh, we started fundraising under the Keith Milano Memorial Fund, which is part of the American Foundation uh, for Suicide Prevention, uh, which I now sit on the board of directors, the national organization, which is based in New York City. And uh, to date, we've raised over a million dollars for suicide prevention. We are one of the major contributors to a uh, an ad council ad that's running online right now about the awkward. And uh, we are one of the contributors. I think we contributed about $200,000 or thereabouts to that ad campaign to help get information out about mental health and suicide prevention. And because of my involvement, I've gotten uh, to become a resource to clients, to people in the community who are affected or uh, their family member may be affected. And we've had numerous instances where we've been able to intervene, help them, and help them navigate this space, which is, it's a tough space to navigate if you know what you're doing. If you don't know what you're doing, it's virtually impossible. But we've built up a network of folks that we can actually go to and help navigate that. And I know for a fact there are a couple lives that have been saved, uh, which to me is far better than the million dollars that we've actually helped save uh, over the last several years. Well, I guess it's four, you know 14 years sure. that, that you've been involved. I can't believe how much time I remember when that happened. But do you think as a result of the AFSP B, if I have that. AFSP. AFSP, sorry. American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Knowing what you know now, would you think that you would have been able to prevent Keith's suicide? I do not. No. I do not. I think that it's a tough disease. He was uh, diagnosed bipolar, and it's a very, very tough disease to deal with. Sometimes some of this stuff is preventable. Uh, some of it is is not, you know, and you try to do your best along the way. But, you know, to some degree, I guess from a guilt aspect also, you got to kind of think that I know we did everything that we could yeah. to try to prevent it and to help him. And ultimately, in the end, for him, it wasn't enough yeah. to help him along the way. Yeah. It's a difficult thing to think that somebody's going through a struggle. And, you know, the way he used to describe it to us was he was living every day day of his life like he had the flu. He felt like he had 105 degree fever, body aches, and it was 
painful almost to to wake up and function. And, you know, it's almost easier for us to understand a cancer patient who's sick going through chemotherapy because when you look at them, you can see that there's something physically not right there. There's a struggle there. With mental health, it's in your brain. My brother-in-law was probably one of the most in-shape guys you could see, hitting the gym almost every day, physically fit, and you would never have known unless you knew what his daily struggle was. And that's one of the real issues of trying to diagnose it and, and figure out what's going on. Not that you're a doctor, but are there any other tells that anyone who's listening could be aware of with other people in their lives? Because, you know, mental health, it's an issue. I mean, the World Health Organization really has identified this. A lot of it's driven by stress these days that I guess ignites it. But are there other things that people might see in other people, you know, in their family or friends that could give them some idea as to, you know, one of their friends that could be dealing with something that might not just be out there? You have to look at every situation on its own merits mm -hmm. and each person on their own merits. I think the, the figure that you're kind of referring to is that mental health issues, I think, cost productivity in this country somewhere in the neighborhood of several billion dollars, if not double digits of billions of dollars in days lost, productivity, things of that nature. But when you look at people, you have to benchmark them against what you know and how you know them to be. There's no real telltale sign aside from certain things, which I'll, I could allude to those in a, in, a, in a minute, but you have to know the person that you're working with or dealing with or your friend, know, know what their baseline is. And my best advice to anybody is if you see them deviating from that baseline, you first encounter them and say, hey, what's going on? Is there something going on that, that's going it. on here? Yeah, yeah. You have to be willing to risk the friendship to save the life. Hmm. And you have to approach it and ask them. And then if it continues and they're not willing to disclose, but you really see something that's different from their baseline, then it's really imperative that you go out and reach out to other friends, family members, and, and kind of investigate that a little bit more. You know, that's a little more difficult. You know, some of the not more common, but more easily viewed things are if you have a friend who all of a sudden bright sunny day, you know, they, they call you up, they're in the hospital because they crashed into a tree or they've had a couple of different minor or quasi minor accidents, you know, that could be a sign. Are they going out drinking or doing other things that really isn't in their norm? You know, those are, I think, more distinct signs. And what I discussed earlier is a little more subtle. Mm -hmm. Regardless of what they are, if you see them deviating from that baseline, what you know of them, it's imperative that you kind of call them out on it, ask them the questions, because they may be kind of in a, in a backwards kind of way asking you to ask them and asking for help. Yeah. Uh, so it's key that you pay attention to those things. So it's funny. There are a lot of famous people that have uh, these illnesses. I've heard a bunch of entertainers, singers, comedians. They talk about it's kind of like a double-edged sword because some of the things that have made them so successful has been this pain that, sure. they, that they live with. Probably the biggest example of that and, and one of the biggest spotlights on uh, suicide prevention was Robin Williams, right? Yeah. Great, great example. Great comedian. Great actor, but if you look at his history, it was riddled with pain. And that really helped him be a great actor and be a great comedian because he tapped into those, those things. And really the difference between somebody who 
people could have mental illness and not be suicidal, right? You're more likely to be suicidal if you have a mental illness, but they don't have to go hand in hand. It all depends on your brain function, which we really know very, very little about. It's the one organ in the body that we probably know the least about right now. And, you know, you and I could encounter the same uh, stressful event and the difference is how your brain materializes that situation versus my brain that could cause you to become you know, neurotic or have a mental condition over it, and somebody else could just blow it off. So it all depends on how your brain reacts mm, to that. But, that. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, mental illness has been a driver you know, to success, right? Some people are OCD. That may lead to their excess, their ability to go into the office every day and meticulously do the same thing or the same repetition over and over could ultimately lead to their success. Now, they may not see it as OCD. They may see it as successful habits, but maybe it's OCD. Um, and in that case, it's a, it's a huge driver for them and not a deterrent. So what are some of the goals that you guys have for the organization? Is it monetarily, like you're trying to raise X amount of dollars? Or is there a certain, is there any events that you're putting on that you're looking? Is it, is it just more awareness? So we have two different really quasi organizations. The Keith Milano Memorial Fund is really a subset of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Essentially, we set it up this way so that we didn't have to set up our own 501c3. Essentially, anybody who wants to make a donation to the Keith Milano Memorial Fund does makes the donation directly to AFSP and says that I want it to go in the Keith Keith Milano Memorial Fund. And what that allows us to do is help fund certain projects. So AFSP on its own as a national organization, we have a board meeting each year in May and, and November. We have our own goals, right? It's financially related, awareness related, et cetera. Then the Keith Milano Memorial Fund, which uh, my wife Denise and I pretty much are running, so to speak, we don't necessarily have a financial goal. Our goal is really more so along on the lines of awareness. We want people to be aware that mental illness is this issue, that it could potentially be corrected. It's underfunded, it's under-researched, and our goal is to get out the word about this on as wide a platform as we can so that if there's another Keith out there that's feeling depressed or bipolar or not feeling right, that there's no stigma for them to reach out and grasp asking a friend and saying, hey, something's going on with me. I'm not feeling right. I need to get checked out. You want to know something really interesting that kind of ties into a bunch of things that we've talked about today is connectedness and loneliness. So there are a lot of people that suffer from mental illness and I don't know if they suffered and then they became lonely or loneliness led to the sure. to, to the suffering. Chicken and if, egg. Yeah, it's kind of like chicken right. and egg. But anyhow, it's a major problem, again, getting back to the World Health Organization that they've identified as, as one of the largest concerns of the 21st century. So it's so bad that in uh, the UK, they, in the end of 2007, or maybe it was the beginning of 2017, they in, uh, initiated a minister of loneliness. 
Wow. Yeah, it's real. I thought someone, when someone first told me, I'm like, no, nah, it's not. And I looked it up. There's a minister of loneliness. Wow. What's happening now is people in, in this ultra-connected world that we're living in, we're actually the least connected that we've ever been. Right. And they've done a bunch of studies on people that, that live longer in there. And obviously it's tied to happiness, no surprise there. Sure. But they say that the average person should have at least, I think it's a minimum three people that they can count on at any time that they can go to three relationships and and I can't remember if it's your if your family counts or, or if your family does not count I, I think right. it's they don't but you should have at minimum three people that you know that you can pick up the phone and that will be there for you or and now within just one decade it's dropped from or, or it still is the same but the amount of people that used to have the average was 3.1 it's now less than one one person. Well, they've probably picked up those other people through social media, which is a little less connection there, <laughs> you know, and I think that's probably one of the root causes of what you're discussing, because now people are relying on these electronic means to stay connected and you're losing that face-to-face and, and camaraderie aspect of the socialization. You're a hundred percent right. That's exactly true. And then, and then you can throw into with the whole social media, I forgot the terms or what it's called, but people are just posting, you know, the pictures of, you know, where they're traveling. All the good stuff. And people are just sitting there at home watching and saying, why are they having such a great life? And I'm sitting here in my house or my apartment instead of, well, actually, so speaking getting out there here, you want to hear something interesting. This was just yesterday. Was it yesterday or whatever? I've lost track of time, but there was just recently, there was a gal that was arrested for the largest. She was taking, she was uh, the largest cocaine bust in, I forgot what, in Australia. And she was on a ship. And, they, and it was 200 pounds of cocaine. She just got sentenced. She's got to go to jail for, I think, seven or nine years, something like that. When it came down to, they, they granted her a little bit of leniency because she was brutally honest about what her driver was for taking these drugs on the ship. Honest to God, truth, money was secondary. Do you know what the number one reason that, that she did this for? I would have thought money, it, but... It was because the number one reason was because she got to go on these high-end ships to, to travel, to take pictures, to give the impression that she was this like really popular cultured person on social media that's unbelievable isn't that wild yeah, yeah. so that was her driver I, I was reading the story i read it twice i'm sure the cash didn't hurt either no but. i'm sure it didn't <laughs> either but but the but the number one driver that you know she admitted that was the reason so that's yeah i thought that was yeah i thought that was fantastic so you've done a great job with that you obviously do a great job in your business you've got this amazing family life i mean you know life is good there were sacrifices that you had to make but you've built these great relationships and, and have done right by people. Is there any other formula to your success? You know, listen, I, I always wanted to be somebody, I, I wanted to help people. And the financial services industry, if that's what you want to call it, really allows me to lend a lot of help to people, lend clarity to families to let them see where they are where they want to be and how to get there. Mm -hmm. And like I said, we're helping them spend a little bit more time. They're still probably spending more time planning their family (laughs) vacation. Well, they let you do it. Yeah, Yeah. but you know, and that's really where our ideal, you know, client profile really comes in is we work with busy people because our view is we want you working and doing the things to earn the living you need to live the life you want to lead and not have to worry about the asset management, and like you said earlier, 
I didn't even know the market was down 550 points. We want you to do that. We don't want you to know that. But at the same time, we feel a responsibility to let you know what's going on. And, that, you know, that's really the key is, uh, is to just make sure that you're there for people. It's pretty simple if you think about it. It's, you know, treat me like I want to be treated. And I always go back to whatever I do in business and I sit back and say, if I was the client or I was the networking person, what would I want? How would I want to do it? And I try to execute it in that manner so that it's in alignment with what we expect from other people. Yeah. So maybe your tagline should be, you focus on, uh, I'll focus on planning uh, your financial so you can focus on planning your vacation. There you <laughs> yeah. go. There you All go. Right. So before I let you go, two things. Um, number one, I want to give you an opportunity if there's any questions that you have for me. The other thing that I'd like to know you, I, I mean, I, I've seen you, I've been around you for years, and I know that you know some pretty impressive people. Outside of your family, who is the most impressive person that you know that you could pick up your phone right now and that would take your call? And what is it about them that makes them so impressive? That's a good question. I don't know that there's somebody that's quote unquote so impressive that if I would drop their name that people would know about them. It doesn't have to be a famous. Yeah, I don't, don't, you know, I don't have that one person, you know, and I've kind of talked about it a little earlier as well. I have an arsenal of people that depending on the area that I am needing to get advice and guidance on or run ideas by on, it may depend on who I call. Probably the number one person and resource I go to is my wife. Uh, nah, you know, I love Denise, but that doesn't end. <laughs> but yeah, you did yeah. say outside the yeah, family, I did. but she really is. She's, yeah, she's a good go-to. She probably gets ninety nine percent of the questions <laughs> and the uh, and the advice and guidance. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then I go to a large stable of other people for the remaining advice and guidance. I haven't really come up with that. I could tell you, there's this one person that's like my rock. That outside of my friend, you know, my family that I go to yeah. for advice and guidance. Well, to your point about you know, there's not just one person. That's essentially what a true network is. It's essentially surrounding the weakness of the individual with the strength of the group. Absolutely. I mean, listen, it depends on what you need to accomplish, right? I'll give you a perfect example that happened just yesterday. My sons are looking and exploring hockey after high school and college. And there's an organization that has approached us about, you know, perhaps representing uh, one of my sons. You know, you want to look into the organization. So I sent an email yesterday to a scout for a National Hockey League team who I've only met once. And I sent him an email, very, you know, hey, I'm just reaching out, was hoping you can help me out. And he sent me back a reply within 10 minutes with regards to advice and guidance in this specific situation. There's probably maybe another two other people I could have gone to in my network. But again, I don't have that one person. I think you have to look at what problem are you trying to solve? What advice are you looking for? And think about that Rolodex that you have and that network and where is it going to be best to go? You know, you're in my network. You're a great networking partner of mine. We, we bounce ideas off each other all the time. If I emailed you about that question, I don't know that that would have been a great opportunity for you to shine in that instance. Mm-hmm. So you have to know where to, uh, where to go, mm-hmm. so to speak. That's a good point. So what question should I have asked you today? If you're me and this was flipped around, you know, what would you have liked to have learned? 
I think it was great. The only other thing I think a lot of people talk about who are successful is, you know, what potentially would you have done differently knowing what you know now, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You know, along those lines, my comment there is, as far as starting a business, I started my business when I was seven or eight years into business. Looking back and knowing what I know now, I should have started probably a year in and started my own practice, knowing what I know now. Why, what is it about that? Just because it takes so long in the industry that you're in or you're just saying general advice as a rule of thumb? I think it's it's a weird situation, right? When you're younger, you think that you need to have this steady kind of paycheck to keep you afloat. And, and then as you get older, it actually flip-flops. It's actually the reverse. When you're younger, you can actually afford to take on those risks. As you get older, married, children, college, more responsibilities, houses, other things, you have to be more conservative at that point. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the one thing I try to impart upon people is, you know, try to find a path that will allow you to be entrepreneurial earlier on in life when you can take the risk. Mm-hmm. Even if it's working for a company, will allow you to be almost an entrepreneur within the company. You know, we look for advisors all the time that can almost be their own entrepreneur within our practice. A lot of autonomy, a lot of infrastructure that we've created, but for the most part, they could be somewhat autonomous. And I think that we kind of have things are a little bit backwards where we think we have to go get this job, work nine to five, or in our case, you know, six to 10. (laughs) And it's actually the opposite. So looking back now, the only one regret I have is rather than starting Midland Financial in 2004. I would have probably started it uh, earlier. Gotcha. Good advice. So before I let you go, anything in particular that you'd like to ask me? Yeah. So I mean, you've been a uh, you know a confidant of mine for you know the last twenty plus years. The ironic thing is thinking about it, you know, we only worked together for a very short period of time. It was only maybe six or nine months, and you know, still to this day, we've stayed in touch for twenty plus years, which is kind of amazing if you think about it. But again, you fulfilled those criteria I talked about earlier. Good person, you know, motivated, et cetera. I'm gonna throw back your question to me oh, whoa. on the, on your network, yeah. right? Because I know you've really developed this really robust network over the last, you know, twenty years. You know, do you have a one person that you would go to uh, that your go to outside of your immediate family? So if I was asked that question, I would have answered it actually the exact same way that you did, because okay. there is no there is no just one go-to person. What I do have, and it's just something, again, getting back to coaching and things that I teach, is I encourage everybody, they should have a person. There, there's, I think it's nine things that I teach. I should probably know this off the top of my head, that you should have a super connector in your network for a bunch of different disciplines. Obviously, one being a financial advisor. That's a good, you have to, that's a staple. Right. You know, you need to have a, a strong in your network. You need to have a lawyer that is similar. You need to have an accountant. I, I strongly encourage the value of somebody in politics. I don't care what it is, but in some form of politics, extremely important. I recommend that you have one in the, uh, in the restaurant business. A lot of people sleep on restaurateurs. Don't. 
There's no, I mean, there are- They know a lot of people. They, a lot of people come into their restaurants. They sure do. And people are in a position where they're really happy when they see them. They're eating. They're spending their family time. A lot of times they're inebriated and they're just sharing things that they don't. So you'd be surprised at the value of that. Sure. You know? um, I mean, I could just you know keep going on, but it's really, the, the point is you really need to know these quote unquote super connectors. I'd be considered a super connector. So I'm a great contact for somebody because what you, when you're connected to people, you're essentially, you, you know, by default, your connections are their connections. Right. So they're these fringe friends, they're called. And fringe friends are just, my friends are more valuable to you than I am. Because what happens is 72% of jobs that people get, it's not from your friend, it's from your friend's friend, your right. fringe friend that I'm talking about. Right. The leads that you get a lot of times are not just the direct friend. I mean, just this just so happens to work just because the trust factor, no right. like and trust, but I'm going to bet you a lot of your practice isn't the direct friends. It's going to be people that have referred you because when you're referred, there's, again, that trust factor. And, you know, that saying, you know, if a ring your horn, it carries so loud, ring someone else's horn, it carries twice as far. hundred percent. Um, That's why we, you know, you, you have to focus no matter what your business is, you want to focus more on your current clients than on going out and prospecting correct. because your current clients already know how great you are. Mm -hmm. And if they tell their friend, family, or business associate that you're great, that person is going to immediately feel a level of credibility. Yeah. Whereas if you're going to speak with a prospect out of the blue, they don't know you from Adam. Adam Connors or Adam Jones, it doesn't matter. And uh, think about how much harder you have to work in order to build that trust and confidence. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I know we didn't want to make this about your company, Mitlin, but I do think it's worth giving a plug. If somebody is interested in getting in touch with you, how do they do that? Yeah, so we, like everybody else, we have a website at midlandfinancial.com. You can uh, put an inquiry in there and it'll go directly to the office and we can schedule some time. Your other option is if you call 844, the number 4 Mitlin, M-I-T, L-I-N and hit extension 12. You can also schedule a uh, an appointment that way. And like I said earlier, if you're referred in by the show, say that you're referred in by the show. We give you a complimentary review. And, you know, as I said earlier, everything may be on the right path. If it is, we're going to tell you everything's on the right path. And if you decide to make a change still, that's fine. But at the same time, if there are improvements that can be made, we'll let you know that too, because you know minor improvements, minor adjustments can really lead to major improvements. So you can get in touch with us through uh, you know any of those means. Awesome. Larry, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. You've been awesome. Thank you. Hey, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Make it a great day. You too. I'm really glad you made it through the whole show. It tells me that you found it entertaining and enjoyed the content. In the spirit of helping us continue to provide such great content and amazing guests, we appreciate your participation through Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash networkwise. Your support really helps. Also, if you or someone you know is looking for a career change, is building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to networkwise.com. Not only does this platform offer you a plethora of resources, but will walk you through how to expedite the outcomes and the aforementioned goals that you seek. Thanks again for listening. Make it a great day. And remember to always networkwise.